Podcast. I'm Alan Cavana of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of MotorsportsAnalytics.com. David, Episode 9. This one seems obvious. We give, we give each episode a name, and Episode 9 is the Lake Speed Edition. I mean, is there any other choice, David? Oh, <laughs> I, know, I, I, I can't think of one. Uh, exactly. I know there are listeners out there being like, Lake Speed, but... It wouldn't be positive regression if we didn't go with a driver like Lake Speed. And again, growing up a 90s NASCAR fan, one of the most iconic paint schemes, at least in my head, is the Spam number 9. It was beautiful. It was blue. It was yellow. And it's just such a classic paint scheme in my head, David, that it has always stuck with me, and so has Mr. Speed. I concur. That paint scheme is so underrated. Um, we don't give enough credence to cars that we can see from far away or spot immediately uh, on our TV screen. But that dark blue with the yellow trim, just gorgeous. And as for Mr. Speed himself, I hope our listeners know one of the greatest kart racers of all time, arguably the best American kart racer, uh, a six-time IKF champion and the 1978 world karting champion. He was the first American to win that championship. Uh, he chose NASCAR racing over Formula One on the advice of Humpy Wheeler and at age 32 made his Cup Series debut on the road course at Riverside. Uh, career wise in his prime, his teams were mechanically challenged through his age 40 season. Speed suffered a race ending mechanical malady. In 32% of his starts, pretty much one in every three races uh, ended in a DNF thanks to car troubles. And still, he amassed an above-average career production rating when compared to the average age, just barely, of plus 0.042. For a modern frame of reference, that's a slightly better career production rating than that of Jamie McMurray, only Speed went eight years further into his life behind the wheel. Alan, do you care to guess what age Lake Speed was when he scored his best single season production rating? Please be 39. Please be it 39. Was, it was indeed 39. A truncated schedule in 1987, 13 races in all, saw Lake Speed amass a 2.173 production and equal equipment rating. Lake Speed underrated but very enjoyable man i love doing this podcast because that is more <laughs> than lake speed may have ever been discussed at least in recent time and i hope uh, everyone stays with us because uh, that's a heck of a discussion but let me just tell you david i was a big die cast collector as a young child and i told you how much i loved that paint scheme and i remember going to walmart and my dad my parents they were kind enough to buy me these die casts and sometimes I would save up my allowance and I saw, I saw the Lake Speed 124th scale racing champions diecast. But for some, whatever, for some reason that day, I didn't have enough money. So I took it and I hid it in a different aisle at Walmart. So I knew where it was that no one else could buy it. So the next week when I got my allowance, I went back, dug it out and bought it. And I still have it to this day. I look for it on my Twitter page when this, when this episode posts. The hiding toys tactic, actually quite popular. I did that with G.I. Joe's, uh, when I was of age. Um, but, uh, good call. Th that, that, that spam car, um, and then even later he had a Cartoon Network car, uh, played very well to, uh, the diecast crowd. But fun fact about that spam sponsorship, it came about in a last minute scramble after a deal, 
between Melling Racing and the University of Nebraska fell apart. Uh, coincidentally, a lack of news surrounding this particular incident was, as legend has it, the impetus for the creation of Jayski.com, the most popular NASCAR news aggregator before the rise of social networking. So, uh, Lake Speed somehow inadvertently affecting how we got our NASCAR news for, uh, for a couple of decades there. How damn interesting. You know, we plan this show and still I learn things every time uh, you're, you're talking about something. So thank you for that nugget of info, David. <laughs> of course. Absolutely. All right. Enough about Lake Speed, although I don't know how you could possibly say that. Enough about Lake Speed. But uh, let's move on. Let, he has done it. Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch has done the 200. He has 200 career NASCAR wins after his win last weekend in the Cup Series out in Fontana. Now we look to what's next. 200s in the rear view, 201 and beyond. Uh, but David, I think it's, you know, there will always be the debate about uh, all the national series wins and how many he may amass. But I, I think even by Kyle Bush's standards, he's looking at the number 100, 100 cup wins. And if he can do it, something only two other people have done, David Pearson and King Richard Petty. Jeff Gordon came the closest in recent history, but, uh, can he do it? How do you, how do we look at that? How do we assess that? Can we look into the future, David? This is a lofty goal. Huh? So uh, since we launched Positive Regression, we haven't spent a significant amount of time dissecting Kyle Bush's statistical profile. But it should be said, the regression analysis that spat out this year's peer projections on motorsportsanalytics.com ranked him first heading into this season, uh, which is his age 34 campaign. I'd say through five races, the projection is proving true. Looking forward, things are only going to get better as he approaches age 40. That's visible in a similar regression analysis I did in effort to pinpoint when he'd score Cup Series victory number 100. Uh, now, listeners, usually I don't project win totals. That is hard. It would take into account many assumptions and omit how future races break. But this is a special occasion. Not many drivers have a realistic chance of getting 100 wins. Uh, using the regression analysis, I projected peers well into the future and used similar peers of years past to estimate Kyle's win totals. And that led me to his age 41 season in the year 2026. Not only would he secure win number 100, in that same year, he should also surpass David Pearson for second on the all-time wins list. Uh, again, Alan, making a lot of assumptions here, including one about his equipment and team strength holding steady. Uh, but before the age of 42, Bush, in this exercise, projected for 106 victories. Uh, Alan, you can go ahead and begin work on that next essay for Race Hub. <laughs> but I mean, look, I, I don't, I think the last time we had this conversation was about Jeff Gordon and there's a point in his career where the winning slowed. If all holds steady, Kyle, Kyle can get David Pearson. Richard Petty at 200 is just a number that seems insurmountable. But in our lifetime, we, we might witness Pearson's record be surpassed. Now, just doing quick math, I mean, that's, what, 54 more wins? I, I think he's on 52 right now. I, I'm just doing that, – that's above five wins per year if we go uh, to over the next 10 years. 
which and you're having him doing it eight. That 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 raises the average even higher. That's, this is why I think I don't think you like prognosticating the the number of wins. But when you look back and do your uh, prediction, does that seem high to you? What, what seems doable about it? Keep in mind, he's only uh, this is age thirty four season career production trends not necessarily linear, but in an upward direction through age 39. And even the age 40 through 42 seasons are typically valuable for the elite drivers. We're seeing that right now with Kevin Harvick. It is reasonable to suggest that Kyle Busch's career takes on the look of drivers as good as he was at this age. And the rate in which he produces results and gets victories, it could be sooner. We're, we're certainly not counting a year that might include 10 victories or 12 victories. I mean, he there, he, he likes numbers. He likes records. He could break the, the, the modern era record of wins in a season. We don't know. We can't count on that. But he's clearly capable of doing that. So interesting exercise. Again, yes, I, I'm always nervous when it comes to prognosticating because so much can go wrong with wins, right? And, and we just don't know how races are going to break. We don't even know what the schedule looks like next year, much less 10 years down the road. But safe to say that David Pearson's record is is in trouble. Well, if he's going to do it and start clicking off some of these numbers, he's off to a good start, Kyle Busch, that is. Already two wins on the season. And for Race Hub, I got to talk to his crew chief this week. It'll be on Race Hub uh, Thursday night, if you were listening to this Thursday morning. I'll post it on Twitter. You can get a good idea. But it was interesting because, David, I talked with you beforehand and just pointing out, you, you pointed out, I mean, Kyle Busch's passing numbers seem are, are improving. And in short, I mean, Kyle Busch is improving as a driver. We know how good he is already. But in this early part of the season, it appears Kyle Busch is improving as a driver. And that's bad news for the field, first of all. But I pointed that out to his crew chief, Adam Stevens, and he kind of agreed uh, in terms of saying Kyle is in midseason form to start the season already. Remember, there have been some years, whether it be through injury or just through uh, just waiting a long time to get that first win of the season. But we're only five races in, and Kyle Busch has the two wins already. Midseason form to start the season is the assessment from his crew chief. That's an interesting observation. Is there anything that he is attributing this kind of uh, instant success and and certainly improvement to. Uh one thing is, is the new package. Um Stevens told me, I mean he he harkens it back that this new package in Cup is a step more toward the trucks and Xfinity, something we have heard before. But when you point out how many races and how much success Kyle Busch has had in both the truck series and Xfinity, I mean by Sunday at Martinsville he will have 1000 NASCAR starts at this young age, a relatively young age for that's just track time. That is learning time. And if you think about all the success he's had in both trucks and Xfinity, and if we're doing something now in cup that is somewhat similar, is it crazy to say Kyle Busch and team have just been gifted a package that is going to make even enhance his talents and enhance his numbers and stat padding, even in the cup series. If he feels that there's a similarity between this and the kinds of rule packages he's had in the past in the Xfinity and truck series, that logic might hold some water if we just look at his passing numbers. Kyle Busch in years past was not Superman. Uh, in fact, in the Cup series, he was quite vulnerable on long runs according to a surplus passing value. From 2014 to 2017, he earned negative surplus values. 
Uh, he turned the corner last year, ranking fifth among full-time front runners, and more importantly, uh, securing positive values on all five measurable track types. This year, though, wow. Uh, so far, he ranks first in the series in surplus passing value. Uh, he has been penalized. He has been thrown to the back in years past. That would have been a problem for him. This year, it does not matter. His expected pass differential based on average running whereabouts is plus 15 this season. He's turned in a plus 80. Uh, all of this with Daytona omitted. If we are, are now shoring up weaknesses in Kyle Bush's driving repertoire, yes, his competition should be scared, uh, or certainly in trouble. And there might be something to, uh, Steven's observation about all this driving, uh, that Bush has been doing outside of the Cup Series. Well, you heard it here first. David Smith says David Pearson's record is going down. And we're going to remember this in eight years, David. Okay. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about this on the, I can't even do the math on the hundredth, 500th episode of positive regression. We're going to revisit this analysis. Okay. I hope we do. That's, that's, that's a plan. <laughs> okay. Well, from one Kyle uh, to another, let's talk about Kyle Larson. Um, someone who his talent is obvious. Uh, we love seeing him on the dirt. We love knowing him as a racer who will, you know, race just about anything and Mr. Excitement out there on the wall. Uh, we know the Kyle Larson story, but we also know he didn't win anything last year and still looking for win number one, but. Him and uh, Chip Ganassi racing as a whole, performing well so far this season despite the win. Uh, I want to take it back to uh, Phoenix a little bit, David, because it, it was interesting in the reactions to the Phoenix race. A lot of the drivers were talking about how important clean air is and how tough it is to pass, maybe tougher than last year. And, and Kyle Larson made the comment. I uh, remember he started 31st and ended up uh, with a really good finish. I think he finished sixth in that race. And uh, it was his belief that Kyle Larson's quote that he didn't make a green flag pass all day and that all his positions gained came on restarts. And that's how important they were that day and how important his restart ability was that day, that a lot, all, if most, if not all the, the ground he gained that day was on a restart. And what was your initial reaction to that? Because that, that really puts into perspective how important restart skills are going to be if that's indeed the case, David. Well, hmm. Uh, on paper, Larson scored 76 passes in his favor at Phoenix, and that was the most of any driver in that race. Uh, he earned a plus 25 adjusted pass differential for the day. His restart net, which I'm closing off at two laps after the green flag, was plus six across four attempts from inside the first seven rows. Uh, that doesn't jive with what he said, but that doesn't mean he's wrong um, how he approximates gains might be short run versus long run, and it would make sense that most of his movement came when cars are in closer proximity. Now, Larson was the most efficient passer in NASCAR last year. So when he says something like that, we should take it with gravity. That quote might have come out of some frustration for his year as a whole, because he's having a difficult time this year overall. His surplus passing value is plus 0.99%. That is down from a series leading plus 3.62% last year. His restart retention is also down. He's retained position on uh, only 67% 
of restarts from the preferred groove, and that is down from 86% last year, nearly a a 20% difference. But restart retention in the entire series is down in the preferred groove. The series-wide rate is currently 65%. Last year it was 80. Uh, Thus, restarts have proven more volatile in this early part of the season. That might be where Larson is seeing some opportunity to clear cars. If this year's rule package is meant to create side-by-side racing, then that intention includes lots of jostling and not a lot of clearing. In years past, Larson was this exciting single-corner ripper. Uh, right now, though, uh, straightforward passing is a little more burdensome for everyone, so he isn't clearing cars as quickly as he's used to doing. I would take his quotes out of frustration, maybe not necessarily uh, Phoenix as a whole. Phoenix is notoriously a very weird passing track. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, Denny Hamlin had some similar comments. Alan, from where I sit, this seems to be frustration boiled over. And I, I would say you're 100% right because the number, the story, your numbers are telling and your interpretation are exactly what Kyle uh, Kyle Larson told me last week when we were interviewing him at the shop for Race Hub. Uh, you know, it, let's say if this new package has given an advantage to Kyle Busch, it may have taken away, at least Kyle Larson believes, it. Ta- it's taken away an advantage from a driver like Kyle Larson. And the way Larson explained it to me is it's so much harder to get a run now with the way the air is and the power and the end that when he used to be able to go wide open on the top and run that wall, that meant the other drivers down in the bottom of the groove were having to lift. Now, if you're not having to lift and you're sticking on the bottom, you can't go around somebody wide open on the top. It's impossible. That's what Kyle Larson was explaining to me. So it is not only made it harder to make those passes when you have the skill to run wide open at the wall, he says it's also allowed more drivers to be wide open up at the wall in that Larson line that we are so used to seeing him at. So in last year's package where it it took Kyle Larson's skill, was it was really able to show itself off and being one of the few drivers who could run inches from the wall and wide open and pass the cars that were having to slow down on the inside group, this new aero package and engine package seemingly, per his standards, per his quotes and what he told me, it's taken some of that away. That means, I guess, having to adjust, and that's where restarts will be of the most importance now, especially for a driver like him. Yeah, I mean, he's in. Look, if he's if he's taking some time to learn some new tricks, I think in the interim it speaks to his innate ability to get by cars. I mean, through five races, his expected pass differential is plus nineteen. He's turned in plus thirty nine, so he's. He's 20 positions better than his car's expectation. He's going through uh, a transition period, learning a new rules package that, I don't know, is arguably kind of built to suppress driving styles like the kind he has, and he's still turning in a positive return. I'd be curious to see how long he takes to adjust, or is this the new normal? 
Interesting. And I don't know how much we learned at Martinsville only because it's the, the kind of short track we all like where maybe power and arrow means so little or at least less than the other uh, tracks that uh, we can just talk about, you know, the racing and the beating and banging. But when you think about Martinsville and you think about the cup cars and restarts there and all the talk about how important restarts are, especially this year, what comes to mind when you're looking at Martinsville? Well, I mean, no, no new rules package, no problem uh, when it comes to the Martinsville restart dynamic. Retention percentages all over the field uh, should be up. Uh, in last year's spring race at Martinsville, those in the outside groove successfully defended their positions 91% of the time, while those in the inside did so 63% of the time. All of those rates were uh, are higher than the 2019 series wide averages. Alan Martinsville is a typically tricky track uh, for Kyle Larson. Uh, he cut his teeth on big, sweeping dirt tracks. So a place like Martinsville that is flat and corner-heavy is probably disorienting considering his upbringing. But he may find it a little more to his liking this time around just for the positional security uh, that it offers. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, and that your your statistics there struck me. Is the outside better to start? Is that the preferred line? Oh gosh, yes, yeah. For uh, over the last uh, four years, there is a seventy four position difference uh, between the outside and inside groove. Uh, if you think back to that fall race in twenty seventeen, and uh, the and the waning laps, I think maybe thirty five to go. Brad Keselowski made a very controversial choice to line up on the outside. He lost the lead uh, to Chase Elliott. That set up the uh, the infamous Chase Elliott Denny Hamlin showdown. But Keselowski was criticized for picking the outside when really, in my eyes, he was a, an early adopter of an emerging trend, and that's that the outside has been effective at Martinsville in years past. Contrary to popular wisdom, when you think of a a flat half-mile track, the inside line should prevail. That just has not been the case lately. Um, So it would not surprise me to see leaders pick the outside groove if only because that's what has been working in recent races. Interesting. And one of my uh, first uh, truck races, I remember Noah Gregson choosing the outside and uh, going on to win the race. So uh, eye-opening. I, I honestly, you know, you think of the pit road games and everything that goes on there and, uh, you know, trying to be pick your numbers and working with spotters and trying to jam the brakes before you hit the line getting out of pit road. And here I was all this time thinking you wanted to be on the inside. I guess uh, hopefully people start listening to Positive Regression and, and, <laughs> and learn where to restart. Maybe give them a little advantage. And uh, one of the benefits of Martinsville and going there and the good news about it, the Truck Series is back this weekend uh, on Big Fox. So that'll be fun to be a part of that on Saturday. Uh, after two weeks off, the Truck Series is returning. Uh, we've got Kyle Busch in the field, Bubba Wallace, Austin Dillon will be there. Austin Dillon's actually driving uh, the Joe Nemechek uh, or the Nemco truck that won the race last season uh, in that eight truck. So that'll be interesting to see how Austin does. Bubba's a good truck driver, uh, certainly two-time winner there in Martinsville. He'll be in a truck. So that'll be fun to watch. And we've three races in, David, and, you know, take the cup guys out of it a little bit. And give me your quick interpretation. After three races in the truck series, what's one thing we do know about the truck series so far? Grant Enfinger is amazing. Uh, he has the uh, the best average finish going into this weekend's race at Martinsville. 
and he simultaneously has the 13th fastest truck. Readers of motorsportsanalytics.com who read the truck series peer projections going into this season will note that Infinger came out on top, ranked number one in peer projections. He drives for an organization in Thor Sport Racing that has two former champions and Matt Crafton and Johnny Sauter, and he doesn't get a lot of love. Look, I know it's easier said than done to take resources away from Sauter and Crafton, who in terms of age are past their prime, but they, they do have an expertise. They have two good crew chiefs. Those teams are really good. So I'm not suggesting that. However, Enfinger could use a little bit more love from that Thor Sport camp. Two years ago, he ranked third among Truck Series regulars and peer for the season and did not qualify for the playoffs for his sake. I hope history does not repeat itself uh, because he's really good. That's really interesting. First of all, congratulations. I mean, again, if if you uh, go back and read, I mean, he, Grant Infinger was projected to have the best production in the truck series. And look who is the point leader right now. It's Mr. Infinger. So good job there, David Smith. But you just said he has the 13th fastest truck. I mean, we're talking about a series that is pretty top heavy uh, in terms of, of you know, th- there's only so many good uh, teams or loaded teams anyway going out there competing for a title. And he's 13th on the list. Yeah, I mean, when you think about Thor Sport Racing in general, they they uh, are, are driving Ford F-150s that aren't as uh, well-supported as the Toyota Tundras and the uh, the Chevy Silverados we see every truck series race. So Thor Sport kind of just going at it on their own, which admirable, but also uh, troublesome when you're trying to compete for wins and championships. Uh, one of the reasons they brought back Johnny Sauter was to do just that. But here is Enfinger with, from a strategy standpoint, a good crew chief and Jeff Hensley. It's not a bad team. They're just not a particularly fast team, and they're certainly not consistently fast at any one place. But his production suggests he's he's pedaling as hard as he can, and he's actually getting results from it. Would love to see him with more support behind him. I don't know who the championship favorite is. That's one of the questions I have going into Martinsville. But you'd like to see Enfinger, as good as he is, have a more realistic shot uh, at competing for, well, playoff spot, much less a championship. Yeah, leaving the point standings impressive, but all the more impressive when you bring up uh, how fast or not fast that, that truck currently is at the moment. So. Yeah, and you mentioned we, you know, that's one thing we do know uh, is how good Grant Enfinger is performing. Uh, something we don't know, I think you just brought it up. I mean, we've had, at least from my perspective, you know, Kyle Busch has won two of the races so far, uh, dominated. Certainly they haven't been runaways. It's not like they're six, seven second victories and what have you. But, uh, when, with those, with Kyle Busch winning, um, it takes away potential playoff uh, clinching scenarios, you know, for the regulars to get a win. So I don't know if a favorite has emerged quite yet or if we can just give it to Grant Infinger. Um, but uh, what questions do we need to answer, especially when the cup interlopers and a guy like Kyle Busch finally gets out of there? Well, you know, I, I agree. Kyle Busch coming into the series clouds the narrative, uh, certainly. But beyond that, the, the spreadsheets haven't been particularly bullish on any one driver, unless we forget last year's favorites uh, were Johnny Sauter and Brett Moffitt, and they're both with new teams this year. Both drivers rank slower in central speed than they did last year. Kyle Busch uh, and his number 51 truck 
are the fastest through three races. The second fastest is another KVM entry in Harrison Burton. As we discussed with Chris Mitchell on our prospect episode a few weeks back, there were some questions we need answered about Burton before we anoint him uh, a favorite for anything. I think one of those is his closing acumen. Uh, he is averaging a two-position red zone loss right now. Uh, I think of Atlanta before the the rain came, he was running second and the track was cleared and the race was restarted and all of a sudden he, he wasn't second anymore. So you have a, a young driver in a fast truck. You have veteran proven drivers in trucks slower than what they're used to. No one has emerged yet. So Martinsville could be uh, a decent litmus test for at least the next few weeks uh, and then even moving past that. We don't know much about this truck series yet. Lots of questions, but you would like to see someone uh, emerge from the morass with something you'd like to point to and say, okay, that is the the team that every other truck series team will be chasing. He's the clear favorite uh, going into the fall. And with Harrison Burton sitting there in second in points right now after three races, uh, I mean, just from the eye test, I, I feel like he's overachieving, or at least he's he's performing maybe a little better than we we thought someone who had never been on a mile and a half track before uh, would suddenly perform early in the season. And now he has that ability to at least he hasn't dug himself a big hole, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, that is true. And one and uh, another question we had about him going into this season was his passing acumen. Uh, on the mile and a half tracks, but I'm going to flip that question around on you. Would Kyle Busch say he's overachieved in Kyle Busch equipment? Ooh, that is a good question. I'd have to look at the, your, uh, speed rankings to, to know just how fast that 18 is. Uh, look, Kyle Busch, as we've learned, is a tough boss. Uh, I don't know if he gives Harrison Burton the benefit of the doubt, <laughs> even if it's just a few races into his, uh, career in terms of the mile and a half stuff. Uh, I, I'd like, look, if they're not winning, I don't think Kyle Busch is happy. And even if Kyle Busch is in the race and the one beating them, I think he still wants, would like to see them perform a little better, certainly with Todd Gilliland. Uh, that, that's a, that's an interesting question. Uh, Harrison Burton right now outperforming, at least results-wise, uh, his teammate Todd Gilliland. If Harrison Burton or Todd Gilliland are not winning, I don't think Kyle Busch is happy. So uh, I wouldn't give him uh, too much credit on that one. So a lot to look forward to there in Martinsville with the trucks and cup. Uh, a lot of it, I'm maybe still, maybe Kyle Bush centered, whether it be on both Saturday and Sunday, but we will just have to see. So, uh, look, let's not forget we, this show, Positive Regression is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean. We have all your favorite devices covered. So make sure you subscribe and listen to us. If you like what you're hearing, and we know you do, we get such good feedback and fan questions, uh, intelligent fan questions. We really appreciate those. It just means you're listening to us and we love that. Uh, so if you if you are one of those listeners, leave a rating or a review because it helps this podcast gain a lot of visibility and your help in spreading the word is appreciated. If you have any questions, we want to answer them here on the podcast, just like I said. So reach out to us on Twitter at PosregPog, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. We will answer those questions. David, what do you have coming up? This week, I'm making my triumphant return to NASCAR.com, where I'll touch on the Martinsville restart dynamic in greater detail and highlight a few drivers who might benefit. Be on the lookout for that on MotorsportsAnalytics.com, the first batch of Truck Series team-dependent statistics and the initial Cup Series restart stats are up uh, or will be up prior to this weekend's races. There are lots of good nuggets uh, there for Motorsports Analytics subscribers, so get to it. 
All right. And make sure you watch all, keep your television on Fox and Fox Sports 1 this weekend as all the action from Martinsville will be there. I'll be down on Pitt Road for the truck race on Fox. So I'm certainly excited about that. Dave, remember last year, this race, it snowed seven inches in Martinsville. They dropped the green flag about 25 laps in going into one. It started snowing and I couldn't believe it. And then we were delayed a few days. So they are calling for much better weather. So uh, make sure you tune into that. I'll be down there in the pits and make sure you watch Race Hub. You'll have that. I'll make sure to post the uh, interview with Adam Stevens, Kyle Busch's crew chief. Again, a lot of interesting stuff about how Kyle Busch may be getting even better, David. So we touched on that, but make sure you watch uh, the interview we did over at Joe Gibbs Racing. And as always, thank you for listening to Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Kavana for David Smith. We'll see you next week. John, you want to look and feel your very best? Visit the team at Cool Contours. They are the number one cool sculpting provider in Virginia. Their award-winning team of certified cool sculpting elite and cool tone specialists work with you to create a fully customized treatment plan to achieve your dream body. Learn more at cool-contours.com. That's cool-contours.com. As rated by Allergen in June 2021, cool sculpting leads FDA clear to be visible fat bulges, nine areas of the body. Some common side effects include temporary numbness, discomfort, and swelling.